Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, between 1926 and 1945, five professional football leagues tried and failed trying to keep up with the NFL. One did, ultimately producing some of the greatest teams, players, and coach in NFL history. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right. It's not going to be before you very long. I'm not going to lie. It's just one of those weeks. Um, And this show today just serves as a setup. Okay, this is a setup show for next week. Okay, so we're going to go with the open. NFL historians, lovers of sports history, you know you are welcome. And this show is for you, not for those who already know this stuff. Again, I totally understand. But this show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy Sports. Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, bellyupsports.com. Go to it. Click on it. Read the articles. Go to the shows, especially this one, and listen. All right. A lot of great content creators out there. We have several, several great shows. I mean, hockey, football, college and pro, basketball, cricket, you name it. It's a very entertaining lineup that we have. And our home base would be Spreaker. Okay, you can go to that as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, as well as YouTube. All right, so um, I will not be before you very long. Um, Hey, look, I'm trying to make sure I do this right. So today is really going to be more of a setup show, okay? So just getting right to it, over the course of about, I didn't know I've done, this is show number 57, by the way, episode 57. But over the course of these 
56 shows. We have talked about the history of the NFL. That's what this show is about, right? And we've mentioned in passing and not really gone into great depth about some of the rival professional leagues that came up to challenge the National Football League. In the end, the NFL always wins. They always seem to win, right? And now you have what the AFL of the 1960s, they proved that they weren't going anywhere. All right, go back and see my, I think that episode was called that uh, The Other League. We talked about the AFL. And they weren't going anywhere. By what, 1968, they had added two more teams. And, you know, that plus the television contracts meant they were not going anywhere. Plus, they were a lot more pleasing to the eye to watch. The AFL was, and that was the fourth incarnation of the AFL, by the way, that was more exciting to watch at the time. They were actually throwing the football and not three yards in a cloud of boring dust like the National Football League was at the time. Um, the key was two things. One, they were getting some of the best players in college football. And two, <clears throat> which was really probably the most important, those TV contracts. And I believe it would have continued to grow and gotten even better had it not merged with the NFL in 1970. But, I mean, them merging turned out to be the best thing for both leagues. Clearly, another thing that really hurt, uh, you know, the rival leagues that came up through the 20s and the 30s and the early 40s was the Great Depression and World War II. How did that hurt? Money and bodies, Okay. When there was not enough money to go around, there was players that really weren't getting paid uh, like they were supposed to. You know, you got guys that signed contracts and they were supposed to get paid. Let's just say they were supposed to get paid about $200 a game. And then once the gate was collected and that gate was sometimes wasn't what you wanted it to be, you probably got, and I read in one uh, portion of uh, one book where a team, they were getting only 67% of their pay i mean you work a full week you want 67 percent of your pay of course not <laughs> you know you don't want that and so a lot of teams were folding there were teams that couldn't afford to pay their players let alone uh manage you know everything else and they probably wasn't coming away with any money and plus don't forget this they had leasing fees to pay they had to pay pay their rent <laughs> so they, it, this was one of those things that you had to keep in mind with a lot of the early teams, like I said, in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s. Now, the NFL was doing okay, but they were the one pro football league that was thriving. Those, The rest of them, which we'll mention here in a second, it wasn't uh, – it just wasn't enough to go around. Let's just say it like that. And, of course, you got uh, the bodies. There's not enough bodies because men had to go off to war. There were fewer jobs. And if you want to see it at the table – you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it wasn't exactly the same quality of football because you had some of the best stars that were going away to go go fight. They came back, but you had, uh, I guess, to, to say it like this, you kind of had the, request, the, the replacement, excuse me. So fewer jobs, fewer seats at the table. And, of course, you know, what was going on racially, we just came out of our uh, Black History uh, shows, and we talked about the reintegration of the NFL. I mean, the NFL wasn't exactly handing out jobs to blacks at the time either. Uh, they, from 1920 to 1933, we had some guys play, 13 to be exact. Four 
before there was an NFL. 17 total in all of those years, and there was zero from 1933 to 1946. And when you have all of these things with the war, and then you had um, uh, the Great Depression and things like that going on, where those those potential black jobs were not going to, uh, you know, a job, those potential jobs were not going to blacks. They were giving them to the white guys. All right. So, I mean, it's just, that's what they were doing. All right. I don't mean to sound uh, like that, but that's what, that's exactly what was going on. Um, so he had a lot of talent that was sitting at home, uh, which kind of equaled bad football. And through it all, the NFL, again, they've survived all of this well over 100 seasons. And so, yes, I do have papers today. Then we'll go right to it. So some of those other leagues, just to give you those first five leagues that were in the NFL prior to 1946. So you had the NFL. In 1925, you had Red Grange. Red Grange was the star of stars. He was the the galloping ghost, right? And so Grange, a day after he played his last game, at the University of Illinois, he decided to turn pro, which he ended up dropping out of school because he couldn't continue to be in school uh, <laughs> and play pro football. He dropped out of Illinois and signed on the next day to play with George Hallis and the Bears. And if anyone knows the story, is that they played about uh, 19 games that season. And some of those were barn on a barnstorming tour. I think they played about, I think I read it was like eight or nine games at the time where they just went a whole weekend playing games, just left and right. And they earned a lot of money, but Grange and his, we'll just call him the first agent, the first recognizable agent in pro football at least, was C.C. Powell, Cash and Carrie Powell is what they called him. We've mentioned this guy before. They didn't think they got enough money. So Grange wanted X amount in the end, and Hallis and the Bears said, ah, probably can't do that. So what did they do? Grange and Powell decided to start their own football league, the first incarnation of the American Football League in 1926. Well, that league only lasted a year. They had teams, again, that were not pulling the same kind of money, you know, <laughs> that everybody else would be pulling. And keep in mind, the one star that everybody was trying to see was Grange. What about the other games? Who are the other players? You know, do you have quality players on these other teams? No. So one by one, eventually these teams folded up and Grange ended up going uh, back to the NFL and finished up with the last three, four years of his career, something like that, um, uh, the, the, the last years of his career. And that league folded up. Then the second and third in, incarnations of the AFL we're in 1936 and 1940. 1936, this is where the the Rams came from. The Rams were in Cleveland, and they they were one of those teams that only stayed for the one year, and they bolted for the NFL in 1937. And again, between there and then the, and the AFL of 1940, they both lasted two years apiece. And after the war, I think the wars were really hurt the 1940 version of the AFL. It's the same story as all of them. They didn't have enough players, they didn't have the funding, and they folded up like a cheap tent. Then, uh, four and five were the USFL, and I think it was called the Trans-American Football League. 
and that was this is the first incarnation of the United States Football League, the USFL. These both came out in 1945, and the TAFL, same thing. Uh, Red Grange uh, just so happened to end up being elected as the commissioner, uh, president of the USFL, and the problems that he ran into was the exact same problems that he gave team gave the Bears way back when. His complaint was the players want too much money. Well, I mean. <laughs> Did you want too much money back in 1925? And you broke off and started your own league, and it didn't work out. Uh, and even the TAFL, these these teams never really got, they never got started. They never signed a player, never played a game. So they folded up as well. And all of these leagues just combined, and some of them played and some of them did not play. They wanted to field teams and things like that. You talk about New York and Buffalo, Rochester, Brooklyn and Syracuse, Boston, Cleveland, Akron, Cincinnati, Columbus, all in Ohio. In Pennsylvania, you had Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia, Chicago, Washington, Baltimore, St. Louis, even in Seattle and L.A. Hawaii was even a team, I believe, that was supposed to be in the USFL. They wanted to stretch it out to the islands. And also Dallas. Some of these teams never did pick up a franchise. Some of them did, and some of them actually played some games. But in the end, there was there was no competition for the NFL. And just also keep this also in mind is that the NFL had downsized. You know, they had some some 22 teams at one time, and they downgraded to as many as eight because of the depression. And they were back up to 10 by these late 40s, by the mid 40s. Now. Just to throw this in here, when the latest Batman movie that's out now that's like three hours long, people say it's pretty good actually. When they said they was coming out with another Batman movie and I saw the trailer and I'm like, dude, and it's the guy from Twilight, uh, not another movie. I can't take any more Batman movies. I really can't. How many more versions are we going to get to see? I mean, sometimes Hollywood, they can really overdo things. They really can. And with Batman, we've had, of course, the original, Adam West, and that was the TV show. And then you had the first movie version back in 1989, which was one of my personal favorites with Michael Keaton. And it was followed by George Clooney and Val Kilmer, and then the three with Christian Bale, which personally, all right, love me, hate me for saying this, I, those were my favorite ones. They were. They, they, they were my favorites. I know the first Batman, you know, the Michael Keaton, okay, it was great. But, um... The Christian Bale ones, oh, killing, especially the one with Bane. Of course. Uh, but you had you had Christian Bale, and then you have Ben Affleck. Why? Why? Disappointment. Come on, man. Do better. Outside of West and the other five actors what, that produced nine movies, now we get Mr. Twilight, Robert Pattinson. And that makes, what, ten movies at least? And I guess if you include that small appearance by Affleck in Suicide Squad, that makes it 11. But anyway... I'm sure that there were people, whether they were in the league or fans, that felt the same way about professional football in 1944. When it was announced by Arch Ward, and I called him Arch until I found out his name was actually Archie. So it's Arch Ward, uh, that the All-America Football Conference, not All-American, All-America Football Conference would become the next professional football league. All right, so yeah, they had a pretty good run over a four-year period. Um, and it was the longest of any of those professional leagues to date. That was before the AFL in 1960. Question, why didn't the other leagues stick? Three things, money, players, facility. You talk about money, you talk about fans. You're talking about 
people at the gate. You know, and and when you don't have the money, like I just said earlier, you don't have the the players or the talent. They're not coming to see just anybody. And then there's the facilities. You must remember that the NFL again they had ten teams: the Giants, please forgive me, the Redskins, the Washington Football Team, the Cleveland Rams, the Lions, the Steelers, the Chicago Cardinals, and then the Bears, Eagles, and the New York Yankees. Now only the Green Bay Packers had their own stadium. Everybody else played at a major league baseball field. And they had to pay, at least they had to pay their rent to that baseball franchise ownership. That kind of shrinks the playing space and you have to have a place to play, right? So, you know, you have to consider all of these things when you're starting up a football league. I'm sure you can try to put another team in some of these other places, but were some of these teams that they were trying to start up in the first AFLs and the USFLs and the TAFLs, were they going to stand up to the Bears, the Packers, Washington, or the Giants? Uh-uh, not really. Maybe the Cleveland Rams, because they didn't win anything until 1945. But it, some people dream. And Chicago Tribune columnist Arch Ward, he had a dream. And his resume as well as financial backing, made it become a reality. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Here's to the great American settlers. The millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today. Okay, I got a question for everybody. Anybody, hands, show of hands, who's ever heard of the World's Fair? I mean, it's something that I remember seeing as a kid, I don't think the last one that was at least in the States, I believe, was like 1986. And I do remember seeing some memorabilia around my grandparents' house um, when I was a kid. Uh, I think I saw it like in magazines and stuff like that. And I really didn't understand what it was. I'm like, is this like a a, a place for kids to go to, to ride rides or something like that? You know, is it like we around here in Nashville, we had... Opryland, which was a theme park. Was it like a theme park? Was it like, you know, going to Disneyland or something like that? It didn't really look like it to me. But just, you know, looking around and just kind of briefly looking at some things. Uh, and I still don't understand, didn't understand what it totally was. It was like a giant expo that has exhibits of the times is what it's been described as. And it showcased achievements. Now, in 1933 in Chicago, they would be hosting the World's Fair. And Arch Ward of the Chicago Tribune, he wanted to include a baseball game. He wanted to throw something extra in there, uh, you know, as, as another 
thing for people to show up to see. Very good idea. And it was going to showcase the best players from the American League and the National League of the Major League Baseball teams in America at the time. The first All-Star game. That's what it became. And it stuck. It was a great idea. They still do it today. Now, something that stopped in 1976 was actually his next idea. And that would be the College Football All-Star game. Now, from 1934, this was the next year, from 1934 to 1976, the seniors, the graduated seniors, or graduated seniors, uh, would play an all-star game. They were selected to the all-star team. They would play an all-star game against the NFL's champions, you know, from the previous year. They would play the Bears or they play the Lions or whatever. Uh, 1974 was the only year they didn't do it. Uh, that was because there was a player strike, okay? But they played that game for quite a long time. Um, I mean, just imagine, uh, I don't know, timely, just imagine taking out the Hall of Fame game and inserting that game. The college, I mean, this is before the draft and all of that. I mean, the draft hadn't started yet. That didn't start till 1936. So this started in 1934. But they did that. And it was something else that Ark Ward's great idea, his great mind, gave um, the sports world. And so Ward had another idea, <laughs> which was another professional football team a, a league actually to challenge the NFL and Ward and all of his ownership partners actually not only want to ch necessarily challenge the NFL but I read it as being called like the World Series of Professional Football they wanted the champion of the AAFC to play the NFL champion and they could coexist and they'd have two different two leagues that probably I mean, pretty much like the AFC and the NFC today just like what the AFL did when they uh, combined with the NFL in 1970, and they decided to have their the AFL, the AFC champion face the NFC champion. In the early years of the of the Super Bowl, it was the AFL champ versus the NFL champ for the first four years of the uh, of the uh, NFL. Um, so the first uh, well, the first four years of the Super Bowl, rather. So yeah, it, it was um, it's one of those things that they wanted to do long-term. And I thought it was, I mean, if you think about it, it's a really, really good idea. They wanted to visually merge and eventually merge. Of course, they were about 25 years too early. Now, according to Stan Grosshandler of the Coffer, Coffin Corner, excuse me, Arch Ward, they actually called a meeting in St. Louis two days before D-Day in 1944 with his group described as, and I'll say, quote, men of millionaire incomes, end quote, to discuss forming an All-America football conference. The mistake of the USFL, for instance, was that the owners of the teams, they did not have deep pockets. They were described as good businessmen, but they didn't have the money to really sustain anything. It's part of the reason why it folded. You got to have money to run a team as well as, uh, you know, just manage a team. You got to have money. And if you wanted the last, you got to have money. Arch Ward had men with deep pockets. So I'm gonna introduce you to a couple of these owners around those, you know, the beginning meetings. There was Chicago's John Keishan, who was a, a trucking owner. Uh, Buffalo Oil Company executives, James Brewer, please forgive me if I say their names wrong. And William Bennett, as well as construction man, San Cordovano, all right? Then there's actor Don Amici, who teamed up with newspaper syndicate editor, uh, editor 
Christy Walsh in LA. Now, if you don't know Donnie Michi, if you're not old enough to have known Donnie Michi, I'll give you two movies. If you ever seen any of the Cocoon movies, uh, you know, he was the one who was, you know, always after the girls. Uh, but it really, if you've seen the movie Trading Places, he is the the slim one, the slim Duke brother, Duke and Duke. <laughs> yeah, that's Don Amici. But yeah, he, he owned that football team back then. And then there's the brothers, Tony and Vic Morbito, as well as Alan Sorrell and Ernest Turin that had the San Francisco franchise. Then there's the millionaire himself, extraordinaire, yellow zone cab man, Mickey McBride in Cleveland. And then also MLB Hall of Famer Lou Gehrig's widow, Eleanor, who was also present at that meeting. She would become a league executive later on. There was also a second meeting, by the way, September 3rd of 1944 in Chicago. Other cities that were interested in getting into that new league were Detroit, Philadelphia, and Boston, all right? Now, here's a little something that I learned. If there's anyone out there that's a Notre Dame fan, they have to be familiar with the Four Horsemen. Two of those former Four Horsemen, Irish players, ended up as pro football commissioners. Elmer Layden was the commissioner of the NFL at the time, while All-American Football Conference, they, they chose his teammate, Jim Crawley. Now, I'm currently reading this book, which is really the backbone of my research. It's called The League That Didn't Exist. There's a reason for that. Uh, and it was written by Gary Webster, and it basically is telling you the history of the AAFC. There's a lot of talk of how much fighting there was going on between the players and, the, and with uh, the stadiums and everything that's connected. Why? Obviously, because there weren't a lot of slots, again, for professional football teams that were just being handed out. Uh, and I just told you about the five leagues that failed before, and some of them didn't even get started, right? They didn't even get dirty. Uh, the fighting didn't end just because Crowley and Layden were college teammates. The two leagues, they just did not get along. They're very, the NFL, very territorial, very territorial. Uh, the, AFA, the AAFC wanted peaceful negotiations. They want to coexist with the NFL. And the, basically, the NFL didn't want to even acknowledge their existence. <laughs> the book is called what it's called. The league that didn't exist. Why? Because we just turned our backs like, look, we're not acknowledging. Even though every time someone asked them in the papers, you know, about anything that I read in this book, there's always, look, we don't acknowledge them. Um, yeah, that, that's they have to. What did uh, Layden say? The famous quote was, "All right, basically, and I'm paraphrasing. Tell that league to get themselves a football and get started first. Let them play a game, and then we'll talk. No one wants to talk. And then, if you really read and and if really if you think about it, just common sense. You have a league that's just getting started. You have in your mind as a professional football player." This, this perspective you know that this league has yet to start but yet you have owners coaches and maybe even some other players that are trying coming at you to try to offer you all kinds of things they're offering diamond rings and cars they're offering of course money and and all kinds of homes they're, they're basically think about the dirtiness of college recruiting and this is the basis of what we're going to talk about next week but you have all of this but this y'all haven't even gotten started yet plus i see the the past of how many leagues that have come and gone just in this short remember this is 
1926 to 1945. How many years is that? Not very long, right? A little less than 20 years. In 19 years, five leagues have failed. No league has lasted more than two years. And even in the midst of these leagues playing, you got guys that's not getting paid and <laughs> these teams that are folding up their tents and, and going on about their business and I'm out of a job. So am I going to go with the establishment that's not going anywhere despite a war and Great Depression? Or am I going to take my chances with a league I've never heard of with some coaches that some of them, they, they were names. There were college football players that were names, which is key. Uh, but we don't know if you're going to pay. We don't know if you're going to play either. So, you know, you have to imagine why these these people were hesitant of doing it. And even the NFL itself, you know, they, they were really feeling themselves. And they were smelling themselves big time. We don't know. Look, let, let them play first. Because we've seen this. We've seen this movie before. And it's flopped. <laughs> it's flop. Yeah, they want to meet with us and coexist. And they, Layden did not want to meet with anybody. Of course, you know Paul Brown. Paul Brown and I think Crowley, they they tried, uh, and along with uh, some other representatives, <clears throat> they wanted to go and meet with the commissioner and they never wanted to meet with him. And I don't think, matter of fact, to this point, they never meet. Never meet. Probably not towards the till towards the end, <laughs> just to be straight. But I mean, you know, you want these, these this coexistence, but it's just not it's not something that anyone's wanted to jump on, really. Even though you did have some guys, you eventually did, and it grew on them because of some of the players they were starting to pull. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Um, when it came to players and coaches, you know, that's when things really got ugly. And the NFL, like I said, they're, even to this day, they're still territorial, but they don't have anything to worry about. There's no other professional football league that's going to even scratch anything, okay? Nobody, they're not going anywhere. Um, but they have cornered the market at this point on professional football. And remember, there was only 10 teams. So Ward's new league had about eight teams at the time, around 1945. They were supposed to be ready to go. They wanted to play in 1945, but they had to postpone that to the next year. And they were also eyeing a ninth and 10th team to equal the NFL. And just to, just to introduce you to a couple of these teams, there was the Chicago Rockets. Um, they were supposed to be the crown jewel of the league, especially because that was Ward's hometown. They signed a lease to play uh, at Soldier Field, as a matter of fact. Then there's the L.A. Dons, of course, and the San Francisco 49ers that gave uh, the AAFC not one, but two teams out west. Okay, This was especially important because of the NFL's Rams. You know, they had just left Cleveland. Of course, the Rams, they finally have a winning record, and they win the championship in the same year, 1945. That was in December 1945. January 1946, they decide, well, the owner, 
uh, Dan Reeves says, we're after lying. I'm just going to say it like, you know, you don't want to say it, I'll say it. Telling mistruths about not moving his team to from Cleveland to L.A., even though he had been trying to do that since 1941. I think he bought the team around that time. He was a New Yorker in, the time, in a town that was not um, his cup of tea. Thank God the Cleveland Browns came through and they were actually Clevelanders who were owning their team there. And, of course, Reeves picks his team up, finally moves out to L.A. Looks like it worked out in the end. But, boy, I, something else that I read and I never really thought about. Cleveland was always moving. They were switching leagues and switching towns. You know, the Rams, the Rams leave Cleveland. They, the Rams, they leave one uh, league, the, first, the, the second AA, uh, AFL. They move to the NFL. And then in the NFL, they move from Cleveland to LA, then they move to St. Louis, and then they move back. I mean, you know, I guess that's just their history. Congrats, Super Bowl champs. Anyway, uh, but the, the Dons, they actually were the first professional team to actually play in LA because they had a game scheduled two weeks before the Rams did. <laughs> and as for the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, who pretty much um, were a godsend uh, by the AAFC, Mickey McBride pretty much made sure he had the best team from the start and he hired one of the best coaches in the in football at the time paul brown he dominated in high school he dominated for the most part in college he even was great when he was coaching the great lakes uh team for the navy so you know and he wanted to go back to ohio state um but that that just wasn't happening because he got off way too much money we'll talk about paul brown at length one of these days got lots of shows to do lots of lots of different subjects but he actually wasn't mcbride's first choice mcbride who i believe had a kid in notre dame they went to notre dame and he was a notre dame fan even though he self-proclaimed didn't know much about football outside of watching notre dame he wanted notre dame's coach frank Leahy. that's who he wanted but through the father you know that's over the school and you know that they pretty much came to an agreement hey don't take take our coach away it's okay and uh we had a writer for i believe it was a cleveland plain dealer ah correct me i've forgotten but he's the one who recommended paul brown paul brown reluctantly took the job best choice he ever made but you know <laughs> it turned out to be a great choice hired a hall of famer and the browns ended up playing in the 80,000 seat stadium municipal stadium as opposed to where the rounds were playing which was only 22,000 hmm. all right so then there was other teams that were involved of course you had Chicago represented at the first meeting in Buffalo and LA and San Francisco as well as Cleveland then you had other teams uh, like the New York Yankees the Miami Seahawks the Baltimore Colts the first version and the Brooklyn Dodgers I'll give you a little background on each a uh, little bit of background on each of these teams that we're going to be talking about going forward next week Baltimore who actually had to drop out before the 46 even began they I think they were still putting together a team and they needed a place to play so they were really not ready to go just yet but the interesting story actually comes from the New York Yankees Dan Topping who was a millionaire himself uh in New York um he had the team the Brooklyn Tigers of the NFL and he wanted he actually bought the New York Yankees, the, the real New York, the baseball Yankees. But football-wise, he couldn't let he wanted his Brooklyn Tigers to play in Yankee Stadium, but the NFL put a stop to that. Why? Because John Mara, the owner of the 
New York Giants basically had territorial rights to the Bronx. And even though they played down the street at the Polo Grounds, it's like, no, I'm not, I don't want anybody else playing professional football in this area. And he had the right to do it. As long as the Brooklyn Tigers were an NFL team, they couldn't play in Yankee Stadium, which is bananas. But, I mean, that's what he was stuck in that. And Dan Topping tried a lot of different ways, you know, to, to get out of this. And he ended up merging his team with the Boston Yanks in order to play. Uh, they were not very good. Um, but eventually he made the, the jump to the AAFC. And what happened with that was is that he lost all, he basically lost his team. He lost all the players because they were up under contract NFL-wise. They were not going to release any players. Again, they were fighting over players. But what ended up happening was, <laughs> all right, so Topping says, okay, AAFC, I know you want this team in New York, right? Okay, well, this is what you're going to have to help me with. One, I don't want to pay, I think it was like a $10,000 fee or something like that. Uh, they reluctantly agreed to that, even though like, I think it was like McBride was one of two or three that did not like it, but they really didn't like this. I'm going to need to build me a, rebuild me a team because the NFL basically took all my players. So I'm going to be able to pick any player that I want from each and every one of y'all's rosters. And all of your rosters that's already set because they started signing players at this point, right? There was like uh, about 300 and some odd players that were out there. 21 were the only, there were only 21 players that could be protected out of all of those teams. Three players apiece for each team that they could protect. But Topping had the pick of the rest of the 300 to build his team. <laughs> it proved to actually be a great thing for him because they were competitive the first, I think, two years of the league. And I wonder why. But yeah, that that's crazy. That that is that's crazy. He got to pick three players from each one of the AAFC teams to play on his squad, and they didn't want to do it. But it's like, okay, do you want to have a team in the media capital of the world? Do you want to be in a major market or not? And then it also helps that he had pro eventual Pro Football Hall of Famer Ray Flaherty, who you know played for the New York New York Giants uh, for several years as well as the coach huh, that helps that really does help <laughs> and then uh, as far as the next incarnation of the Brooklyn Dodgers they were actually taken over by former owner of the Philadelphia Phillies a man by the name of Bill Cox and this team was moved from New York to Brooklyn and they renamed them the Dodgers they played uh, at Ebbets Field the same as the Dodgers baseball team and they signed a 12 year lease with the Dodgers now that makes me think I think I may have misspoke with the um, Soldier Field lease. Uh, I may confuse that with the Evans Field lease. We'll correct that, but we do know that the Chicago Rockets did, did play in uh, in Soldier Field. And on that note, by the way, I did not, I just never realized, I really never realized. These teams were having to compete in the same cities, right? And most of these teams were playing on baseball fields, right? The only team, NFL team that had their own home field was the Green Bay Packers, right? Well, in Chicago, for instance, you had two teams in Chicago, the Cardinals and the Bears. The Bears played at Wrigley Field and go to the south side and 
the Cardinals were playing where the at the White Sox field. So that left Soldier Field all to uh, to uh, the uh, Chicago Rockets selves, uh, so to speak. That's that was that was something else that I learned. But anyway, um, and then the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, the team was managed by a guy by the name of Fat Freddie Fitzsimmons, who he was a one-time Dodgers pitcher. He probably should have stayed in baseball. I'll just say that they should have made another choice. <laughs> we'll get to that eventually. Because that team ended up being bad. Buffalo, that franchise, actually changed head coaches. And one of those potential owners, well, part owner, was Sam Cordovano. He was part owner, vice president, and the GM, as well as their head coach. And he resigned uh, and basically gave it all up. And I'm going to read this quote. He said, quote, due to the heavy press of business and recent rapid development of interest outside of Buffalo, it has become necessary to dispose of all my interests and sever all my connections connections with the Buffalo Club. Hmm. What those interests were are unknown to this day. Uh, maybe I'll do a little bit more digging to see exactly, you know, what it was. Um, maybe he had some, I don't know, maybe his hands were dirty or something. I don't know. Uh, he was a one-time head coach uh, in college and was a college football player as well. But, eh. Uh, at least what, what matters the most is that Buffalo still had a club and they hired a new head coach to replace him the next day. Uh, a guy by the name of Red Dawson. I'm going to tell you now, there's plenty of these names that I could put out here, but you're not really going to know them. I'm going to give you the interesting stuff uh, that, that'll keep your ears, right? So, all right, then there's another team, the Miami Seahawks, that became Miami's first major league sports franchise. And that also gave the AAFC a team in the Deep South, Deep South, and they were owned by Harvey Hester, who out of all of those AAFC owners with those deep pockets, his were the most shallow. He, he was one that couldn't keep up, right? So money-wise, they'll tell you where this franchise went because they wouldn't have another franchise after their first year for another 40 years. Browns made sure of that as well. Uh, but they actually played their home games at Burning Stadium. Hopefully I said that correctly, which was eventually called the Orange Bowl. All right. And in the midst of it all, you know, with all of these teams, uh, the fights between the NFL and the AAFC before that 46th season, um, for, it, it, all of it centered around the players. There would be lawsuits as well as several times the NFL, even a minor league football league, they would conspire to try and get the AAFC thrown out at all costs. It's, it's crazy the list that they would go. But we'll get to that next week. Alright, let's just get to these references real quick. Thank you to profootballresearchers.org and this was the Coffin Corner uh, by an article written by Stan Grosshandler. And also the book, The League That Didn't Exist, A History of All-America Football Conference from 1946 to 1949, written by Gary Webster. Again, this was the setup show, y'all. This was uh, the Behind the Mic podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports podcast network, bellyupsports.com. And of course, our home base is Spreaker. Go to Spreaker.com. Put it on your phone. You can listen to all of our shows, especially mine, on Spreaker. 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio. Now, eventually, one day, I will be on YouTube. But tell all your friends and family about this show. Because if you don't, I'll find your house. Out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.